G'day and welcome to the Two Jacks. We call it the combo. We go around the world and then we go to Australia and then we go around the world again. And that's the way that's the way today's program is formatted in any event. And joining me, as per usual, is Hong Kong Jack all the way in Hong Kong at the moment. How are things in Hong Kong? Uh, look, the air's a bit gritty at the moment, um, but this is customary just before Chinese New Year as, as they try and run those factories uh, over on the, in the Pearl River Delta flat out uh, because they're going to stop for a couple of weeks. Oh, dear. Um, so Chinese so, New Year, when have we got that? Uh, uh, Sunday, Sunday the Sunday 22nd. The, Sunday the 22nd, and it, I, I think the public holidays in your part of the world, at least, will run for a number of days. Yeah, I think we think it's uh, offices don't reopen until the Thursday. They love a public holiday here in Hong Kong, you know. Oh, right? you but, should. Well, look, in your case, Jack, you, you do the Chinese New Year, then you float it straight onto Australia Day and you needn't work at all that week. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just, this is pretty common here for people to make it a whole week off. Uh, it's a bit, a bit like Cup Week has become in Melbourne. Um, every time I see one of my neighbours, they've got a suitcase and they're wheeling it to a taxi to go to the airport express, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, uh, Melbourne Cup, uh, AFL Grand Final, of course, is another one in Australia. But the, the Chinese New Year is a festival that runs, well, my memory is about a fortnight. Yeah, just about, yeah. yeah. You, you, you've got to visit all your relatives and I'll have to get my red packets out. Red packets, that's yeah, right. Yeah. You'll need the red well, packets. I see, um, uh, to hand to um, all the security staff around the building. And, What's uh, that form? What's the form on that? You know, in Australian dollars, what's the form on that? Oh, look, I, I, I used to vary it and try and work it out, but these days they're just happy to get 20 Hong Kong dollars, which is, what, about four bucks Aussie, you know? And, uh, oh, nice. So, so you've got to have nice, crisp new notes in, in, in your life. That's it. You can't use the old ones. You can't no. use the old, yeah. So, okay. uh, so a, a mate went and did the right thing and, and queued up at the bank, and we've got a stack of 20s, um, uh, and uh, we'll fold them into little red packets and, and we'll hand them out. Meanwhile, on the mine, uh, on the mainland, Jack, uh, China's GDP is predicted or forecast to be the second lowest economic growth in almost fifty years in China. After yeah, uh, well, usual caveats as to Chinese GDP figures apply. Um, uh, well, yeah, but they haven't they haven't gone this low for a long time, have they? No, no, no. no. So there are big problems there. Yes. Uh, and they're going to have to work through in the next six to 12 months, they're going to have to work through what's happened in the rest of the world over two or three years with COVID. And yes, very harsh lockdowns. Now, those lockdowns have lifted and since then we've got, well, it's projected at the start of uh, this year that China would have a million dead uh, from from uh, coronavirus, from COVID, uh, and they're running not quite at that rate. About 60,000 people have died in hospital since it abandoned its zero COVID policy. I suppose that's not a complete month, so they may well be on track for a million dead this year. They've also changed the definition of what a COVID death is, that it's unless it's a death due to respiratory causes, oh, yeah. it's not a COVID death. Right. So heart attacks as a result of yeah, uh, COVID. Et cetera, et cetera. No one's quite sure how it's working, but the WHO even are making um, grumbling noises about <coughs> changing definitions, et cetera. 
Yeah, this is something that the West practised a little bit too, didn't they? Yes. Um, <coughs> so they're not on their own there. Um, <coughs> but it's, it's, yeah. called, it's called putting the best possible gloss on things, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and look, they had to do it. They had to open up. They had to stop this sort of dynamic yep. zero COVID policy. It just wasn't working. But their vulnerabilities lie, as we've said on many times in this program, uh, low rates of vaccination among the elderly, who are, of course, the most vulnerable group um, by by age, uh, and um, uh, and the uh, the Sinovax and the Sinotab vaccines, which are non mRNA vaccines, may not be that effective, particularly against Omicron. That that I would add in that the uh, healthcare available in China is a bit patchy; it varies a bit across the country, and particularly in rural areas, it's not so good. Um, so yeah, they're going to have some problems, and it's going to happen pretty quickly. Um, there was a there was, there was a story that a professor from Peking University in Beijing uh, had said he thinks there's about about eight hundred million people have probably got it at the moment, and I think that's right. But the numbers will be huge. It's a big country, <clears throat> and they're going to have their work cut out for the next six to twelve months. Is there just to wrap up on this? Is there really an active promotion from um, uh, from the uh, Chinese Communist Party? to get people, you know, an active promotion to get people vaccinated. Yes, there is, um, uh, but whether that's going to work now, I don't know. And what are they saying? Just basically do it? Or are they yeah. offering some sort of financial uh, no, uh, incentive, it, it, nothing it, it, like that? It's really just encouragement. <clears throat> All right. Now, in an unusual break, uh, we're not going further around the world, we're going to uh, go go to Australia, Jack, where the New South Wales Premier, and everyone will know this, it's made news, I think it's made news uh, in the UK and the US, uh, the New South Wales Premier, Don Perrottet, uh, has uh, stepped forward and apologised for wearing a Nazi uniform on his 21st birthday. i got to tell you, first step, Jack, it sounds like his 21st was, was a bit of a shit show. Uh, it sounds a bit lame. If you've got to do fancy dress at your 21st, I that's know, a bit lame. Know, Does anyone bit... care that he was wearing a Nazi uniform at a, at a fancy dress party well, when he was 20? Uh, I wrote about this last week saying that, uh, you know, surely there had to be a statute of limitations on uh, the um, uh, uh, on, on some of the uh, youth of some of their youthful indiscretions. Otherwise, we'd have no one in Parliament that was any good, had any sort of life experience. It was I certainly. Can, I, can, I can assure you, Jack, I never did anything stupid when I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, I can tell you that I, on my 21st, I was uh, handed and give, actually given as a gift a yard glass, and then I was handed it full of beer. And then proceeded to scale, got about halfway through then, and uh, had to scuttle off to the toilet and projectile vomited all over the place. Um, <laughs> you were driving the big porcelain But I wasn't <laughs> in a Nazi uniform at the time. So brown shirt, we don't know, or uh, or, or the black or, tunic, we or, don't or the know. Full, the full Hugo Boss, we don't really know. Yes, we don't really know. And and look, it, it has to be said that, that uh, the opposition certainly um, – uh, Albanese uh, in Canberra and uh, and Minns in um, in New South Wales have, have not sought to uh, uh, make any real advantage out of this. They they sort of see this as a bit of an issue that will uh, disappear. But <clears throat> but the prevailing issue around this is that there is someone within Perrottet's party within the parliamentary Liberal Party in Macquarie Street. That that is seeking to embarrass him, and that's perhaps the most enduring um, element of this particular scandal, Jack. 
Yeah, yeah, well, the, the party divided, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, tell me, what's worse, a Nazi uniform or blackface? Oh, look, if you do both, uh, I don't think you're allowed in public ever again, but um, um, uh, but it would be incongruous. It, it, the, the blackface stuff is just something you don't do. I mean, you could point to... You know, the black and white minstrel show, I used to watch that as a kid. Uh, on, mm-hmm. It was a BBC production. And it was, you should just look at back and go, what were you thinking? Even then, what were you thinking? Um, but, um, uh, look, it's, it's, it's a dumb thing to do. The, the Nazi uniform is a really dumb thing to do, when, even when you're 21, and he's acknowledged that. But for mine, the, 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 the real issue is someone within his party, there are a number of... Uh, uh, there's Alex Hawke was at the party. Apparently, he dressed up as a pilot. God, boring. Uh, and uh, and one of his other parliamentary colleagues, a member for Wallandilly, whose name escapes me at the moment, who was also at the party. Um, whether there are picks or not, and and apparently uh, Perrottet is deeply troubled by the fact that something will emerge in the media at some point uh, and roll this story along. But for my, for mine, the issue is that. Um, that someone within the factions within within the parliamentary Liberal Party at state level has uh, has basically su- is seeking to undermine his leadership, and I think that's the enduring issue about this. Well, I think the outrage is a little bit selective. The current Prime Minister of Canada um, uh, was in blackface at 30 years of age when he was a senior teacher at a school, and that's not at 21, at 30, and that's a bit different. Yeah, he Uh, had to have – yeah, I know. I mean, for Perrottet, it was in 2003, Jack, which is uh, some 60 years or more before – I was just on 60 years – uh, before the Nazi regime collapsed. Well, and Trudeau so, was in 2001. No difference at all, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, and he's got a complete pass on it. But then he's such a oh, notorious a compl- cosplayer. He he, yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but he didn't get a complete pass on it. He had to do the the, the, the tearful mea culpa as well. It's not good. It's not None of it's good. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yes, yes, we've all made mistakes uh, in, in, in our youth, in our young adulthood, plenty of them. And uh, we probably still make a few when we're adults. Um, that is is not. I don't think Perrottet's judgment as a twenty one year old is an issue. Mm. It, the fact is that that his party is trying to nail him, or elements within his party are trying to nail him. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jack, uh, New South Wales Labor will talk a bit more about the state election as we go forward. Uh, March, I think, March 25, I think, is uh, the date. Yep. Was it? Uh, <clears throat> so we'll talk a bit more about that in particular, um, Labor's seeming ho- uh, seeming being held by by the scrape, um, by, uh, by the gaming industry in this state. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk more about that because it's something they, that bothers me. The Labor me. Party seems to me to be a little bit becalmed. It's like they've hit the Dermot in the Sydney to Hobart and there's no breeze at all behind them, you know? Mm. No, uh, look, I the, the Nazi uniform, I mean, there was there was comment in, in The Australian on the weekend saying that it was basically you know, the Perrottet government was doomed and was going to get smashed. On, on that, I don't think that's enough. Um, uh, but uh, there are a little, there are a few little issues flying around for Labor in the background. Jack, uh, I think they're suing oh, their old um, one of their old uh, legal firms, holding Red League, one of your old legal firms, in fact. Indeed, um, I, indeed, I did my articles in my first few years at, at Holding Ridley. Um, um, <coughs> yes, um, uh, this, this arose out of the. Um, 
the sacking of the then state secretary of the Labor Party, whose name escapes me, Manane. Kayla Manane, yes, yep. former general um, secretary of the Labor Party. And and, um, and it was a matter that was referred to the ICAC. Uh, cash in um, cash in supermarket bags, Jack. That, not and brown Aldi paper bag. bags. Not Aldi brown bags. paper bags. They'd moved up to the... Um, moved uh, up to, to Aldi plastic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, um, and she said that... Uh, she was advised, she said at the time that she was advised by her lawyer, a chap called Ian Robertson, who's the managing partner at Holding Redlick, um, to do nothing about this. Um, uh, and um, uh, the party is suing uh, Holding Redlick uh, for that advice. Right. Uh, and um, I'm not sure when that court, whether that will get to court uh, before the state election, but if it does, it will be a, a, a little bit of a... Um, a problem for the Labor Party. Well, yeah, Labor is suing Holding Redlick for negligence, breach of contract and misleading and deceptive conduct, Jack. So that sounds pretty nasty. But if I was going to peer into the future, I would imagine this will be quietly settled at some point. It could could be could be. I, I, I'd imagine uh, Ian Robertson won't won't take kindly to these allegations being made against him. However, so mm. we'll just see how this goes. Um, All right. Um, he was he was Bob Hawke's lawyer for a, a long time after right. Pe- after Peter Redlick, who was my principal, um, uh, um, had sort of retired. Uh, yeah, Peter's uh, currently holding a number of uh, positions within the Victoria within the state of Victoria at the moment. He was, he? yes. Yeah. Um, uh, now look, uh, uh, Kevin Rudd. He's uh, winging off to Washington too as our ambassador. He'll replace, uh, not Joe Hockey, Joe Hockey's successor, um, the former Liberal senator. Um, Arthur Sinodinas. Arthur Sinodinas, and he will replace him. It's a nice gig, Jack, for a start. You've got the, you've got a beautiful, beautiful home. Uh, you've got the, uh, the, grass, the grass tennis court on the, in the front yard. Which would be useful for a few months a year in Washington, yeah. Apparently, hockey used it uh, to uh, to uh, uh, build up uh, build up the following amongst the sort of State Department and Defence Department in the United States. You'd have tournaments at uh, on the lawns there. Um, uh, a good uh, a good a good half a million a year gig for Kevin. Uh, there was some talk that perhaps he should suspend his parliamentary pension. <laughs> no one ever asked Sinodinas or Joe Hockey to do that. Um, uh, or, Julia, or Julia Gillard or Bob Hawke or anyone yeah, else. It's all, just, yeah. Yeah, all a bit silly, isn't it? And, yeah. uh, um, and that, so the, the, the prevailing view about Kevin uh, becoming uh, the US ambassador is that it was either a, either a glimpse of genius or, or or an absolute disaster waiting to happen. There, there seems to be only two takes on this, and some people have the same they have those same two takes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's a toss up. Yeah, well, that's that, that's what people are saying. Look, <coughs> you would have to say, in terms of foreign um, foreign affairs, uh, Kevin Rudd is as well versed as anybody in this country. That that's that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is, he can be a little bit uh, he can be a little bit curt with people that he uh, doesn't respect. Jack, he can. Um, one of the important things about being uh, in, in the job is. If you pick up the phone, will someone pick it up at the other end? And and if you're the former Prime Minister of Australia, they will, yep. especially if you're as well known as Kevin. So that's a plus. Um, uh, he just he's got a 
uh, well, a, a patchy track record of get, track track record of getting on with the people he works with. Um, That's uh, perhaps the problem. And he'll have staff. He'll have it's you know huge staff. The the Australian Embassy in in DC was uh, uh, re- renovated, refurbed is not quite the right term. It's a, it's a sort of you know the Australian the Australian government spent over a billion dollars creating the, uh, the 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 embassy, and it is a substantial building. He would be employing several hundred uh, people, or several hundred people would be responsible for him. Yeah, I think if you, I think if you delve back into history and found uh, Kevin's grade one report, it would probably say it doesn't play well with the other boys. Yeah, he does have a little bit of a temper sometimes, Jack. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. He's uh, certainly not going to be silent. Uh, uh, no, that's not in his nature either. That's you know. not in his nature. Of course, um, uh, last week I received a text message from a friend saying that uh, uh, Cardinal George Pell had passed away. Uh, he was having a he's having hip replacement surgery, which apparently went well. He was chatting along with his anaesthetist. Uh, and then he went into cardiac arrest and died shortly afterwards. Jack, walk us through a little bit of his career, and we'll get on to the more controversial stuff in a minute. I, I was del- <laughs> puzzled but delighted when uh, almost universally around the Australian media, they were parroting this line that he had come from humble origins. Mm. And uh, I'm a country boy uh, uh, like George Pell from Victoria, and he was the son of a mine manager who was later a publican, mm. um, and he went to St Pat's Ballarat, a very good school. Uh, I, I'm a bit puzzled that that's considered to be humble origins. Youngest boy in the family, too, Jack, that, and that's often yeah. a that's often a big youngest boy in a fairly fairly big family, a Catholic family, uh, uh, and, and also that the youngest one. Can often be sort of shuffled off to uh, to the church, can't they? Shuffled they off to a seminary. Be. They can be, but of his age group, by the time the youngest one came on, generally the families were recovering from the depression, and the youngest one got a few got a few little perks that the elder ones mightn't have got. It mm. might his, his elder brothers might have come from humble origins, but I don't think George did. Um, uh, and uh, but he had a long and successful career in the church. He was ambitious. He was a clever politician. Yes, he was. Um, we yep. can say all those uh, things. A clever, that, yeah. clever church politician. Um, uh, and and on the face of it, you'd say, well, that's a success. He's risen further in the church than any Australian ever has before. Um, uh, uh, the black mark, in my view, comes um, with whether he put career uh, his career prospects in front of doing something about child sex abuse within the church, whether he decided, look, I can't really do anything about this uh, until I get further up the ladder. And there's a bit of truth in that. I mean, I think the Royal Commission in Australia didn't understand at all how the Catholic hierarchy works. They seem to think that because you're on some diocesan committee, you had real power and you don't. The bishops and archbishops rule their diocese like a medieval duke um, uh, they lord that they are the lord of all that they can see, so far as the church is concerned. Yeah, look, that that's definitely true, and perhaps that's something that people do miss about uh, about Pell. That uh, certainly some of the matters in and around Ballarat uh, that he certainly would have known uh, uh, about uh, some grave concerns around uh, Gerald Ridsdale, uh, who by this stage has been being shuffled off uh, into other parishes after having disgraced himself. Um, and 
so the so the question might be what what could Pell have done at the time, and, and um, uh, if we understand the proper context of this, uh, we would know that uh, uh, by this stage, by nineteen eighty two, just one Catholic priest had been convicted of child sex offending, and that was in nineteen seventy nine, uh, and then nothing else had been done, and there seemed to be an inertia. And, so, and, some, and, 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 and certainly a, a form of corruption within the Victoria Police Force. Um, I can certainly speak to that. So, so my, my, my question would be, at that time for George Pell, what could he have done? He would have blotted his copybook with the bishop, Ronald he, Austin Mulkerns. He would have blown up his career. Yeah. And so I think what David Maher wrote about uh, wrote about Pell is probably right, particularly in that in that period of his life, mm. is that he was a company man, uh, and that, and that he was climbing up the ladder, as you said, and maybe he thought maybe I can fix a few things up here when I become more senior. When I actually get my hands on the keys to power, when I become the archbishop or the bishop, mm. um, not just a junior bishop within an archbishopry. But when I get to the top job, then I can do something about it. Before then, what can I do? I can make a public fuss about it, and that will that will kill my career stone dead. As David Maher said, the best you could hope for after that would be to parish priest, be a parish priest in some nice seaside town. Yeah, um, that's that, um, that's that's right. That's absolutely right. When I get to he was he was an, an adjunct bishop in Melbourne. Uh, and and he was essentially in charge of uh, all Catholic education in mm. the, in the Melbourne Archdiocese. Yeah. Um, and then when we get to someone like Peter Searson, a very very strange priest, um, he was a, he, he was well known to a, a very good friend of ours, uh, B. J. Harding, um, uh, in 1963 when he was a, when he was an assistant priest in Carlton as a very unusual known as a very unusual man, moved on to um, uh, moved on to Sunbury, uh, where he's the parish priest there. Uh, lots of reports of uh, of misbehaviour, particularly around children, and then when he gets to Doveton. Um, uh, you know, he was just a nightmare. He was carrying a gun. He was threatening, th- threatened one child with a gun, threatened another one with a knife. He used to torture animals in front of kids, um, uh, and and there were many, many allegations of, of of indecent assaults on young girls and young boys. And I just, I, I find it very hard to believe that that Pell at that time, when he had complaints coming directly from the from the principal of the school, from teachers at the school, from uh, from 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 uh, uh, parents of of kids at the school, that he did nothing to keep Searson out of the way. Now you would you would argue, I suppose, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You might argue that perhaps the real power was Frank Little, who was the Archbishop. Uh, of the, the Melbourne Archdiocese and that he should have intervened. Um, but really, Searson's behaviour was so alarming and so dangerous that just his simple removal or a simple instruction that he was not to be in the company of children, I think, would have been enough. But he chose, George Pell, that is, chose, chose not to do that. Yeah, again, I think that was the choice he made, um, uh, f- I think, for career reasons. Um, uh, I actually met George Pell once, sat, sat on a table with him, uh, with him at a, a, a 
Australian Jockey Club committee room lunch at Randwick um, and walked out thinking, well, my, my, I said to my mate who I was there with, um, what did you think? And he said, oh, he's a complete Rex. <laughs> and I didn't disagree. Um, and I'd also met Frank Little in similar circumstances. Frank was a great Essendon uh, su- supporter, yeah. um, carried the black and red rosary beads with him, and, and he was all charm, uh, Frank Little. It was uh, nice to meet you, Your Grace. We're at the footy, Jack. Call me Frank, you know, um, uh, and an amiable and avuncular and all that sort of stuff. But there is no doubt that Frank Little was utterly opposed to doing anything about child sex abuse um, uh, in Melbourne. Um, mm. The record on that is very, very clear. Uh, and he was the Archbishop. And if you understand Catholic uh, hierarchy at all, you know that he rules. Yeah, absolutely, that's true. Um, and and yes, we could we can certainly cast Pell as a careerist. The other thing that I do want to mention that really has to be mentioned, and it never really is, is that certainly in Victoria, whether it was the Diocese of Ballarat or the Archdiocese of Melbourne, there was no particular. Um, uh, well, it, it extended to real corruption within the Victoria Police Force. Mm. I mean, there, there were just no priests being convicted, as I said. 1979 was the first, and that, and that was uh, Michael Glennon, uh, uh, a, a parish priest in Reservoir Jack at St Gabriel's, mm. um, and, uh, and then 13 more years um, until Ridsdale himself had his first round of convictions um, uh, and so with all of this offending going on, uh, there was really very little police activity. You know the Dennis Ryan story. Many of yeah. our listeners will, of course. Dennis attempted to prosecute uh, John Day, Monsignor John Day in Mildura, who was a prolific offender uh, and uh, lost his job over it. Uh, that all blew up in 1972, but I've traced it going all the way into the 90s, and there was still this collusion between the church and police that saw really no one being convicted. And by the time Ridsdale was convicted the first time, and he should have been convicted of very serious offences, penetrative rape, etc., but wasn't. It was down at the very lower end of the sexual assault scale, and I do apologise. I don't want to trivialise um, uh, what uh, those particular people went through. But there was a view within the police at, and this is 1992. There was a view within the police then that <clears throat> that these were these matters were of little moment, and obviously there are exceptions to that. Dennis Ryan is one, Colin Ryan and Warren Ball is another, and there are, there are a number of good police who did pursue these matters. But Victoria Police had no interest for a very very long time in those things. So I'd ask you, um, you know, if you were a victim, what chance did you have? I mean, all, in much. all probability, your parents wouldn't believe you. Uh, the church was going to cover up and the Victoria Police wouldn't pursue it. Look, uh, well, I was at a boarding school and, and, and one of the priests who uh, was convicted of a number of uh, many offences in Melbourne was a fellow called uh, uh, Wilfred Baker, Billy Baker he was known as, um, and he used to come up to our boarding school and do retreats, you know, um, three-day religious prayer fests oh, for the younger boys. And, and it was notorious even within the school back in the late 60s and early 70s, that mm. um, that you advise the younger boys to give him a bit of a swerve. Don't, don't get too close to Billy Baker. Um, Backs uh, against the wall. 
Yeah, that, that it was a bit of a war ch- stuff. And it, but, but it was always made a bit of a joke. Now, Wilfred Baker, Billy Baker, was the priest that um, really um, sets up where Frank Little fits in this because two very good Melbourne lawyers, Catholic lawyers, Brian Cosgriff, later a magistrate, um, and Brendan Murphy, um, died this year as a, a, a QC, a very successful barrister. They went to Frank Little and said, uh, Father Baker's our local parish priest and he's doing terrible things, do something about yeah. it. And Frank Little just sent him away with a flea in there. Yeah. Um, well, and, and Baker, I know, was, was, was shanghaied around various parishes. He ended, and, up, in and, ended, up, across, ended up across the road from the uh, uh, from the, the Lord Raglan at the North Richmond uh, Parish there and the and the parents wouldn't let their boys be older boys there, you know? And and, and, uh, and, and this was the practice. This is what you did. If there were complaints, this is what people like Little and Ridsdale did and, and their predecessors did the same, that if there were complaints about priests and the level Ridsdale, of... Uh, Little and Malkerns, you mean, yeah. What did I say? Uh, Ristar, Ristar. Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, Little and Little, Little and Mole Kearns. This is what they did, and they didn't. It wasn't just done in Victoria. It was done, you know, some of the other real sort of epicenters of all of this: it, it, Maitland, it Newcastle, standard um, practice Armadale. around the world. Standard practice around the world. And the, and it always bothered me. The question was, why does this occur? Why does this occur at this rate? I mean, you know, an academic at at Victoria University looked at the rate of offending. Uh, uh, in, in you know, offending against children uh, in the general population, and then looked at the number of priests that had come forth out of the out of the uh, seminary uh, in Werribee. Um, um, just trying to think of the name of it. It's now no longer Corpus, Werribee. Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi Seminary. There, yeah. Thank you. And and um, <clears throat> and uh, the level of offending was forty times the general population. So mm. there's there's for me, and it's a, it's an academic exercise, and perhaps I don't want to trivialise clerical abuse, but there, there had to be there had to be some priest like Ridsdale who joined the priesthood in order to pursue their perver- their perversions, and there are others who who who, who joined the priesthood and became uh, became perverted towards children, and and it's a very sort of, I mean. If we look at look at offending priests like Paul David Ryan, who was attracted to fourteen and fifteen year old boys, um, one might say, well, the seminary. Once he entered the seminary, and he entered uh, uh, Francis Xavier Seminary in Adelaide first, he got booted out of there, and then Mulkerns put him through, put him through Corpus Christi. Uh, you might say, well, that's because his psychosexual development had sort of frozen as a result of. Um, you know, sort of asexual environment in these seminaries. So you might they might explain that, but it doesn't explain why Gerald Ridsdale was was indecently dealing with eight and nine year old kids. No, no, no. So I don't think Pell gets a pass on this, no, but I think no it's way. got to be seen in its proper context at the same at the same level. You know. Um, yeah. Uh, I see that Louise Milligan was in the Saturday paper relitigating the uh, the cases against. Pell for for the allegations against him personally for sexual assaults, but um, it's a pretty poor article. If you uh, if you read that, make sure you read Jeremy Gans, the Melbourne Law Melbourne Law School lecturer's Twitter feed, and he will take you through uh, chapter and verse of why he concludes that he's a very gifted writer, but perhaps not such not such a great court reporter. Well, Jack. I mean, I'm not going to speculate on those things. I've looked long and hard at Pell's behaviour and the allegations around him, whether they were in 
uh, Ballarat or whether they were uh, in his period as um, um, uh, within the, the Melbourne Archdiocese. I'm, I'm not really going to look at that, but there was one moment that stands out for me, and no one's ever challenged this, and, and this was, I believe, uh, the Surf Life Saving Club president, I think at Anglesey, and yeah. uh, Torquay, I thought, but yeah, Torquay. No, I think yeah, no, you're right. And and uh, and and he wandered into the changing rooms there, and there were Pell was naked talking to young boys. Uh, then he came. He thought that was strange, and, he, and he, then he went away. Came back 15, 20 minutes later, and and there Pell was, and he didn't even know who Pell was, but he told him to fuck off, yeah. and uh, and Pell did. Now that alone, that doesn't that doesn't raise any sort of offence. There's no criminal offence being naked. And talking to someone in a in a changing room, but it is very strange behaviour, Jack. And and no one has ever contested that that happened. Um, no, no, no one has ever come forward, uh, Pell or otherwise, has ever come forward to say that was that was wrong. Now, as I say, no criminal offence involved um, because it's a changing room. People expect it to be naked, but hanging around for twenty minutes talking to uh, groups of yeah. young men naked, it's it's strange behaviour. I've got no idea whether George Pell uh, was a pedophile or not. Absolutely no idea. Wasn't there? Didn't see it. Um, no. uh, but what I can, what I, what I am prepared to say is that the cases brought against him were very poor, and I was being told this from within the prosecution service in Victoria at the time. Well, there was um, one that, that there was one that was dropped the, 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 where where the um, the complainant withdrew the complaint virtually on the day the the uh, the, the, the trial was due to commence. Um, and, 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 and that obviously that cannot be pursued now. Um, again, it gets back to that sort of changing rooms, showers, those sorts of things. Um, but uh, but uh, the complainant uh, did not want the matter to proceed. Yeah, well, there you go. But all I can tell you is what I do know is that I was being told right through, all the way through, um, not from Catholic lawyers, but from lawyers around the town in Melbourne and particularly from within the prosecution service, that they didn't have one decent case to run against him. The the other thing I, I just before we wrap this up, Jack is uh, <clears throat> um, again. I mean, it'll be a question that it, it's got to be rhetorical because of the failures of the Victoria Police Force over such a long time, really going back before World War Two. Just this complete ignorance, or um, uh, even corrupt collusions with with clerics, um, uh, not to pursue prosecutions against. What, what were you know extraordinarily prolific pedophile priests? Um, uh, did the Victoria Police Force, knowing knowing its ugly history, uh, and that much of it had been pushed into the shadows, knowing its ugly history, did it basically overcompensate? Did Sano go? I mean, we know that uh, that there were differences of opinion between Sano. And, uh, and and uh, the uh, well, the Office of Public Prosecutions in in Victoria. Yeah, well, uh, I, I never like to think that I can know what someone's motivations are in these circumstances, but by hell, it looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, really, really poor history. I'd encourage, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of your your own understanding of how this could occur, to to read Unholy Trinity which is Dennis Ryan's uh, story that I wrote for him. Um, and that, in fact, was uh, examined by the Royal Commission and found to be absolutely correct. Um, and it will tell you just exactly how um, how the police basically got involved with, with Ronald Mulkerns as the Bishop of uh, Ballarat and, and jumped on a prosecution.
Um, and, and it was outrageous, and the, and the Victoria Police Force has since apologised for it, but it hasn't really apologised to victims in other respects. We'll leave it at that. Just before we leave, Pell, yeah. um, one, one thing that I found that's interesting is a, a chap called Francis O'Sullivan, who's a, a distinguished Catholic, I think from Canberra, yes. who's head of the Truth and Justice and Reconciliation Committee or something, yeah, yeah. commission. Um, uh, he's, he's been out there saying, well, he thinks that uh, Pell was very bad for the church in Australia um, because he's a, a Pell by any, by any, imagine, any, any description where you would call him a hardline um, conservative traditional Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks that's been very bad for, uh, Sullivan thinks that's been very bad for the church. And, and, and he, he puts the decrease in numbers of attending Catholics down to that sort of approach. That what Pell should have been doing was uh, including the laity more in the decision-making of the church, what, what Pope Francis is currently doing. It's called the synodization of the church, where you move it to a more Anglican kind of model where a lot of the decisions are made not by the bishops, but by the bishops with the laity in a synod. Right? Um, uh, and, and that's got some merit, I think. Um, and certainly the numbers of practising Catholics in Australia is dropping away um, really quickly, but it's also dropping away in Ireland and the United oh, States. Well, yeah, the, the figures in Ireland are staggering, and it speaks. We It doesn't speak so much of the, you know, uh, uh, the um, uh, what you call the synodization of the church. It, it, it really speaks of long-term institutional betrayal. That, that's right. It does, and the risk that the Francis O'Sullivan approached. Um, uh, encompasses, though, is that you move to a very Anglican model and the figures for the Anglican church in the UK are terrible except in the migrant communities from Africa and um, uh, and, and, and South Asia. Um, uh, uh, they still like the traditional approach, so they, they're still going to church, but almost nobody else is. So I don't know that the Francis O'Sullivan approach is any better than the George Pell approach in terms of keeping numbers in the church. I've spoken to a few victims, and we will wrap it up now. It's gone on too long, but I've spoken to a few victims, and, and Francis O'Sullivan not particularly, uh, uh, not particularly um, on their on their uh, on their uh, Christmas card list either. Jack, uh, along mm. with Pell, um, <clears throat> but he's the he's the go-to guy for the ABC at the moment. I noticed that. Yeah, look, um, yeah. Well, I tried to speak to O'Sullivan about about uh, unholy Trinity type matters, and he didn't want to speak to me. Anyway, mm. um, uh, you were given a task last week, Jack, to I read did. Spare. Did you read I, it? I, I had to ring up the local bookazine, our bookstore here, and say, have you got, I've got, we've got one left. We'll save it for me. Mr. Jack, I'll be in, uh, uh, in, in a couple of hours. So I got it, um, and that's my, that was my Sunday afternoon, uh, reading um, uh, Spare. Yeah. Um, and what did this I is- think about it? It's not badly written. It's not terribly well written. Well, it's, it's, the fastest, it's the fastest selling non-fiction book ever at the moment yeah. um, at this stage. Um, it reads like somebody who has uh, entered a new religion and is reimagining their uh, whole life through the prism of these, this new set of values. Um, um, so everything you go, you go through it... Um, uh, 
minor things, you know, the size of who got the biggest bedroom at Balmoral. Um, all of a sudden, he's, he's really offended that his elder brother, who was the heir, um, um, got better deals than he did as the spare. And if you got in the world in which he grew up with, you just accepted that because that was how it worked, you know. Mm. Um, um, yeah, and you weren't the spare in the sense of being a, a group of medical spare parts for your brother in case he needed the kidney. You were the spare and you got the top job if something went wrong with your brother. Um, uh, like him did the Queen's father got the top job because his brother um, buggered off and married a, a, an American divorcee. You know, um, uh, so it's a very odd book in that sense, um, but it's a cultural, it's a book of cultural cultural conflict, if you like. He's become a, a progressive Californian and he's looking at his past life through the lens of being a progressive Californian and it looks all wrong. Yeah, and I suspect that's right. I have no experience of being part of the monarchy, Jack, and I guess he's sort of at number 32 off the, off, off the rank. Um uh, well, he's about seven or something now. He, he comes in behind um, his brother and his brother's three children. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, how many stars? Oh, um, uh, don't waste your money. There'll be plenty of excerpts in the paper, and um, and he, he's on every television show doing it live, so you don't need to read it yourself. Sounds like sound advice to me. Uh, the hottest-selling uh, non-fiction book ever. Wow. Yep. I mean, they must be looking at me and, um, look, as a publishing exercise, commercial publishing exercise, fantastic. And and Netflix, although you derided it, Jack, the, the Netflix stuck. I'm, people are just watching this in droves. I, 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 I cannot understand this. I do not understand the no, fascination because, with because, monarchy. Because they're the, the most, they're, they're the most, just about the most famous family in the world and they are notoriously fairly reticent about what goes on uh, in private. And people love the idea of getting a peek behind the curtain and having a look. Yeah, um, I know. But, um, it just doesn't know, appeal to me at it, all. It, it, you know, well, I, I did the right thing by the program. Uh, well, no, I no, you it. did you... say, well, I, I gave you the task. You, you were given the task. You didn't have a choice, to be honest, but, uh, but you did do it, and we're very grateful for that. And I think that's a zero-star rating. Um, don't waste your money. You can pick it up. Uh, you can pick up extracts, or you, indeed you could watch the Netflix stuff. And it, it is an act of Not literary self harm on an epic level. Yes, he will make plenty of money out of it, um, but it's clear all the way through the book and through his television interviews that he still wants to be part of the family. And I think there's almost no chance of that ever happening again. Well, he just cast himself as the eternal victim, Jack. Mm. Um, uh, uh, into more serious matters now, Ukraine and Russia. Um, uh, we've noticed a few. Uh, uh, a few few more oligarchs and well-connected Russian people dropping off um, and uh, and there's been a big shake-up within the military. Yeah, well, when things things aren't going well, you sack the coach, don't you? Yeah, that's right. So now we've got <laughs> Gerasimov um, is, is now taking whole, whole control over the Russian military. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he has a formidable reputation um, uh, both within the Russian military and, uh, I'm told, within um, uh, NATO as well. They all know him pretty well and think he's pretty smart. 
Yes, and meanwhile, Jack, we've got uh, pitched fighting in Solidar in East Ukraine. They talk about the uh, the, the salt mines there and the tunnels that uh, have some sort of strategic value, which which is contested in itself. Uh, and fighting there is not part of is not is actually being conducted essentially by um, uh, the Wagner Group, which is a group of um, foreign mercenaries led by Yevgeny Prigozhin, um, and um, Prigozhin is an especially unpleasant character. Um, he's been given uh, the ability to tour Russia's prisons and uh, and speak to men there. So they're, they're basically the Wagner Group, those fighting, uh, are often murderers, convicted murderers in Russian prisons, and they've been told, just uh, get out there and do your best. Uh, the Ukrainian uh, soldiers are saying, we've never seen anything quite like this before. It's like someone's basically chasing them uh, into the battlefield, you know, that they fear what's behind them more than what's in front of them. Um, so they thought, they thought the Dirty Dozen was a how-to movie. Yeah, 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 they must. Uh, well, Prigozhin is an especially unpleasant man. man. There's a $10 million bounty on his head through the FBI, one of the, one of the world's most wanted men. Uh, one of these uh, uh, Russian prisoners who defected, uh, uh, who, who joined the Wagner Group and defected to the Ukrainians and then was recaptured, was executed by... Uh, having his skull broken with a sledgehammer. It was a subject of a video. And Prigozhin, when he was asked about this, said, you know, basically he just said he died a dog's death. Um, so the, the pitch battle's going on there. Some reports saying that the Russians have now got Solidar under control. The Ukrainians are saying, no, they haven't. Uh, but particularly bitter fighting, probably the like of which we haven't seen at any stage in the war. Mm. It's just right. hard to see how it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. Look, if anyone, if anyone wants to grab Brigozin, um, I'd love to see him. Uh, not tried at the Hague. I'd just like to see him with a couple in his brainstem. He is really, really one of the worst people on the planet. Yeah, meanwhile, in the United States, Jack um, Joe Biden's shed has has is is basically. Um, uh, CIA, uh, <laughs> CIA um, uh, uh, satellite of uh, Langley, loaded up with uh, loaded up well with classified documents. They're saying no, there's no top secret documents there, but classified documents. Yeah, well, we don't really know what's there yet. Um, uh, I, I don't think it matters a great deal. Um, I don't think. Um, uh, Biden's going to be prosecuted for this. I don't think Trump's going to be prosecuted for Mar-a-Lago. Um, uh, and the problem with that is really stems back to Hillary Clinton. They did nothing about Clinton having classified documents and they can't be seen, I don't think, any longer to to play favourites and prosecute one and not the other two. Yeah, it does seem so. Look, there are some very, very big differences, aren't there, in terms of what Trump had and where and what yep. Biden has. Uh, um, uh, but they aren't, they aren't big enough differences to say, well, we can prosecute him, but we can't prosecute, but we won't, won't prosecute the other two. No, look, it, it, it just seems there's going to be a lot of um, uh, uh, <laughs> that, that sort of approach, the sort of me too, if you like, a me too stuff. Mm. Uh, look, one of the most, uh, one of the most uh, controversial characters to ever enter 
uh, the uh, the American House of Representatives is George Santos, the uh, GOP Republican for, I can't remember which district in New York, but it doesn't matter, Long Island. It's, 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 Long, it's Island, Long Island, anyway. yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, he's in a bit of strife. Washington Post is reporting today that, uh, that he was hired to basically be the front man for uh, for, a, for a Ponzi scheme under another name, Jack. <laughs> he popped up there under another name. He, he was that his Jewish name or his? Um, no, uh, 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 <laughs> let me let me find it for you. Uh, but uh, yeah, what, look, they're, they're actually after him, aren't they? And probably should be. I mean, he he went to the election claiming he was Jewish. He's not. Uh, went went to. Uh, he now uh, says that was Jewish, sort of Jew. Jew know, oh yeah, Jew, uh, Jewishness. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's likely to happen here, Jack? He's an elected official. Very difficult to. Well, he could be impeached, couldn't he? Can he be impeached? Yeah, no, nothing's going to happen to him at all. It's just he'll, the honest he'll, thing. He'll just lose his lose his election two years time. Yeah, you'd imagine so. Yeah, um, uh, I think someone's proposing a a bill um, uh, to to enable them to kick him out. But um, uh, if you, as I said last week, if you start kicking out people who've lied about their background, um, there's a few other people in Congress who would go with it. Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, well, look, I I'm. Uh, I'm of the view that uh, he might uh, he might come a cropper. There are reports that he's there are warrants out for his arrest in Brazil, Jack. Mm. So he might have a problem there, but it'd well, be but difficult. I, I can't imagine the, the process involved in terms of extraditing a member of the House of Representatives from the United States to Brazil. But yes, he's uh, that, that that won't be over in two years. I, I'd be pretty sure. Um, so he'll probably just lose his election in two years' time. Yeah, this is. The, I'll just get on to the Ponzi stuff. He was known as George Devolder uh, okay. when he was fronting for this uh, uh, sort of pr- uh, Ponzi scheme called Harbour City. Um, and the uh, uh, Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States called the company Harbour City. That is a, a, a fraud. And look, if they say it, uh, it means it's probably true because they're not the most active of regulators, I've found. Um so something else to watch there. New poll says Biden will smash Trump, but DeSantis will beat Biden. Uh, and, and that is uh, with uh, DeSantis not having very much name recognition, Jack. Well, only 64%. That's pretty good name recognition, but yeah, it's, uh, it's low right. compared to Trump and Biden, who are you know basically 100%. Everyone knows who they are. Mm. Um, mm. Um, Biden the- plus eight over Trump. And, and, and here's the thing. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I haven't looked at this poll and, 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 uh, and how it's constructed. But the problem with Trump is <clears throat> the non-aligned voters, the independent voters, the, those who aren't registered uh, with the Republicans or the Democrats, and they're the ones who, who just won't have Trump. I mean, Democrats won't either. But, but, but the, the, if you can't pick up that what is really about a third of the vote and growing, then you've got no, you've got no hope. Yeah, um, uh, my guess is that that he's just about toast. That Trump's just about toast. He's getting uh, becoming increasingly insane. He was he was telling basically uh, the uh, the recently elected uh, speaker in the house uh, that he had every right to uh, uh, to pardon uh, all those people who have been convicted and are sentencing and, and are serving jail terms. Some of them quite long. 
for the January 6th uh, riot. Uh, quite quite sort of strange stuff, and it just means that he's tilting more and more to the extreme, which is just not where he wants to be at all. I don't think he can. He'll be able to find a, a majority of um, Republicans who want to do what he seems to do, which is to relitigate the twenty twenty election. They'll be looking for someone to win in twenty twenty four on the basis of what's happening in twenty twenty four. Meanwhile, Jack, and this is happening in Australia too, the latest round of the culture wars is coming down to gas stoves. And um, with the Democrats saying you should you should try and you should try and make it electric and um, and uh, a, a Republican congressman uh, <coughs> paraphrasing Charlton Heston by saying you can take my gas stove out of my house. <laughs> Pry it from my cold dead hands. It's all been the best. It's all been the best thing on so, been the best thing on social media this week by a fair way. The gas stove uh, um, uh, uh, kerfuffle. Um, uh, it, it's they're already putting bans on gas stoves in new buildings in California and in New York. So it is a real thing. <clears throat> um, and um, and indeed, Richard Trumpka, who's a commissioner at the uh, Consumer Protection Commission of the federal government. Um, uh, body in Washington, uh, he says. Well, a ban is on the a ban is on the table as one of the, one of the things we can do. The trouble is there isn't really any good evidence that gas stoves cause problems, um, uh, you know, cause problems like asthma to children. Uh, the yeah, that's look, very there, there certainly is a, a fair old body of data about around unfluid heating, uh, and this is why uh, uh, in New South Wales the state. Uh, uh, the state schools had to basically remove these gas. So that is unfluid. So that means yeah. where you don't have fresh air coming in uh, and that it will give rise to matters like asthma and other sort of respiratory complaints. Look, I, in here's, the end, here's a 500,000 uh, person study um, uh, worldwide on um, on on cooking materials and children's asthma that said that there's no evidence of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel mm. and either asthma symptoms or asthma. That's the biggest study has been, or asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis. Um, there is if you use um, wood burning stoves indoors and wood burning fires, mm. and if you cook over if you cook over wood burning um, uh, um, material, there's a lot of uh, Correlation between that and asthma, but not gas stoves. So I think the evidence is pretty pretty poor for it. But wouldn't it be um, cheaper just to have an electric, uh, all electric anyway? Because you can pop some solar solar panels on your roof, and basically the sun pays for it. Well, I don't care what people choose to do. I, 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 I'm a little bit um, weary of people being told what they can choose to do. But it's going to be cheaper. I mean, you know, I, I understand what you I understand what you're saying. It's going to be cheaper to have an all electric house going forward. Uh, rather than have uh, you know gas heating and, and and gas cooking, which you know I, mean, I understand why restaurants want gas cooking. I mean the the, the big wok burners um, they love their big gas. I mean you wouldn't think you could probably do it as as effectively over electric uh, over electric heat. Um, but um, yeah, um, I guess I get your point. You know, when it when it's government sort of mandating these things, it might be a little bit too much. But in the end. Consumers are going to be spending a whole lot less having an all-electric home. 
Well, th- th- that's up to them. I, I, we, I grew up in the country with uh, electric stoves, which we didn't have gas. It was a treat to go to our mutual grandparents' place because um, granddad had a little gas little gas heater that used to sit there and read the Sporting Globe in front of um, uh, and, and And the grandmother had... Have a, you got asthma, a, a, Jack? Hmm? Have you got asthma? No, my brother did. <laughs> And my, and my son had it when he was young too. And I, we've all once once I got to the city and, I, and got a gas stove, I won't be giving up my gas stove in a hurry well, either. Well, in, in the states, state schools, the state primary school that I attended, you'd have these great big clunking heaters, and you would know them. They would have been throughout all the education system, and there was just no ventilation. I've got to problem. tell you, mate, we didn't have any heating at all. <laughs> oh well, you know that's right. You're you embracing the Catholic system. You know, treat them mean, keep them keen. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, you'd have these gas heaters, and they weren't. They were they, so there was no fresh air driving through them. There was just basically turn them on and off you go. And these cause all sorts of problems, and they cause all sorts of problems um, not just with asthma and so forth. And, and it is a big push sort of post COVID is to ventilate properly, ventilate these uh, these sorts of environments where lots of people congregate. Um, I'm just I'm just opposed to telling people what they should and shouldn't be doing. I'm a, I'm I'm an anti green in that respect. That they are they love telling people what to do, and that's just not. Oh right. well, the, the, right. as a road off Friday, the green the green position is to ban everything they don't like. You know. Mm. Um, and uh, and that and that's you know so that brings into it's not not that you can't build a gas, but it'll be a criminal offence yes. to have a gas burning stove and all that sort of stuff. That, that that's when it starts getting weird for me too. Uh, in the UK, Jack, uh, we've got a lot of strikes. I know the train. I know the trains have been on strike for a long time, haven't they? Yep, and hmm. the. Um uh, and the nurses uh, are on strike. Yeah, and nurses the teachers, are on strike. The teachers are talking about going. It's looking a lot like the seventies again, which ended pretty badly for the UK. Um, I was most amused though. The civil servants are having a vote um, to see whether they go on strike. And someone quickly checked their figures and put up a table of how many of their civil service departments have fifty percent of their staff back at work. Not one of them. So oh, that's, that, that's the case with corporate corporate England too. But, yeah, so if they were going to have a strike, they'd have to go into the office first. Yeah, well, that's, they'd have to make a special trip in so they could pick up there, <laughs> stand there with a sign in front of them. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, look at the nurses too. I think what, what is amusing is that one of the uh, the Johnson initiatives during COVID was that the, the English would come out of their homes and the Brits would come out of their homes yes. and, and give them a standing ovation and a round of applause. And now yeah, they're being demonised the by the same government. Bang, bang, bang the pots and pans, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're being demonised by the Sunak government. Uh, all right. We just really wanted to uh, touch on this too uh, in Africa. Not nearly enough reporting of what go- what is going on in parts of sub-Saharan Africa. And one of the great sorrows uh, of Africa is the Democratic Republic of Congo. And what caught my eye about this is that there's a ri- the rise of an Islamic State group now. Um, uh, Ten people were killed. Uh, in Kasinda, which is in the east of the country along the border of Uganda. DRC is one of the largest uh, largest nations in Africa. Uh, ten people were killed in, in this Pentecostal church. Uh, at least 39 were wounded, uh, and it was described as a terrorist act. 
And who would the terrorists be, Jack? It's a mob called the Allied Democratic Forces, and they're about as democratic as the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Uh, Whenever you see democratic in the name, you know it's not going to be democratic. It's a rule of thumb. It's an Islamist militant outfit, um, child soldiers, some of the worst stuff that uh, that uh, that Africa is kind of famous for in in its uh, sort of eternal conflicts. Um, the ADF, the, uh, it's basically started off in Uganda uh, <clears throat> and took up arms against uh, uh, President uh, Museveni in, in, uh, in uh, Uganda there. Uh, it was defeated by the Ugandan army, so it just re- relocated to the, the DRC across the border, uh, kept its head low for a little while, and it's been involved in uh, a number of very serious attacks uh, uh, and believed to have killed about 200 civilians and displaced, Jack, nearly 40,000 people in Beni, which is in the uh, the eastern uh, an eastern city in in the DRC on that on that uh, border with uh, on that border with uh, with Uganda. And for the rest of the world, we've thought Islamic State is essentially gone. So that's why I wanted to talk about this today a little bit. Just to say that you know this kind of extremism is still with us. Um, uh, we uh, we talked um, uh, and and involved in terrorist uh, in, in, in involved in terrorist uh, events around the world. Um, Russia is becoming sorry. Africa is becoming um, uh, almost a satellite war for people like Prigozhin. Uh, the, the, the man I mentioned before, the Russian founder of the of Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, has actually talked about in an invasion of Europe, Jack, from North Africa with, um, with, uh, with um, a mercenary force. Um, and, and it's no surprise, is it, that Africa would become a hotbed for extremism that won't be tolerated anywhere else? Yes, Hard to know what to do, and and look the DRC. We, we, we can't you know we have to talk about the government there too because the, essentially um, a, a groups like this find some favour not so much the Islamic State group there the ADF, but they find some favour because because the DRC in the, the military there have persecuted people on mass. So there's enormous distrust with military and government. Which 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 uh, creates the the likelihood that these rebel groups will flourish. Yes, it's well, well that's what happened in Iran. Don't forget is that um, the the Ayatollahs were able to take over because of the excesses of the Shah's regime. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. Uh, so they got enough public support. People thought they were just getting rid of the, the Shah's terrible regime, but they got stuck with the Ayatollah, which is yeah, probably even worse. Exactly right. So, so this is the potential here. The DRC is resource-rich, um, uh, should be a very, very wealthy state with, uh, uh, with uh, a per capita uh, GDP very, very high, but it, is, it, is, it remains the kind of sorrow uh, the sorrow of uh, of Africa with a great deal of exploitation over its natural resources uh, not coming back to the people uh, and and now Islamic State's movement growing. 
Um, so we'll keep an eye on that and we'll let you know a little bit more. I, I, I'm sort of fascinated about the politics of DRC. There were two wars, of course, the two Congolese wars, Jack, uh, in uh, in the early part of uh, the 21st century. Um, um, thousands dead, uh, millions displaced, and uh, it barely wrote a column inch in any newspaper you can think of. Mm. Uh, it depends who your colonial, uh, um, uh, who you were a colony of. If it, if it was the French, they'd go straight back in there again. Yeah, this is the Belgians, and um, this is, of course, uh, where uh, uh, Sissi Seiko came from, and uh, it is, as I say, uh, the, the part of the sorrow of Africa, and it shouldn't be that way. All right, on to sport now, Jack. Uh, the, the squad for India has been named. Uh, I think the first test is uh, in Nagpur on February 9. Uh, no real surprises there except for the spinner. Um, they're, 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 well, there's, there's, there's Nathan Lyon, of course, and I think uh, Swepson's in the, in the squad and Agar is in the squad, and then there's a young fella who's uh, done very well in the, uh, in the big bash. Yeah, what's his name, the Victoria fella? Davis, yeah. Is it Davis? Uh, I can't remember his name. I thought it was Lloyd, but there you go. Um, yeah, no, um, you're, you're probably right because I'm getting some. I, I, I am getting uh, confused with a, a very young talent. I think he's, I think he's an Echuca lad, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he's one of these uh, cack-handed bowlers. Well, not cack-handed. He's, he's basically trying to figure out what, what he's bowling when he's bowling it because he's got one of those unorthodox actions. I have seen him play in the Big Bash. I'm, I'm running around, scuttling around, uh, trying to find the um, trying to find the squad. There, but there were no there were two two really good uh, young bowlers in the Pakistan England um, uh, Test matches in Pakistan. They both had uh, really interesting spin bowlers. Um, not the not the rip it warny type leggies, but the bloke who can blokes who can turn a little way but not very far, but both ways. Um, yeah, that's what you've got to be able to do these days if you're an, if you're an off spinner. It's not something that Nathan Lyon does a lot. He doesn't have that. What do they call it? The carom ball um, mm. uh, that that can turn turn away. He he basically uses the arm ball um, uh, with uh, uh, you know to 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 pick up wickets that way. The ball that just keeps going on with the arm rather than rather than turning, so it'll move away from the. Um, and move away from a right-handed batsman. The uh, English fellow <laughs> who Australia are going to be facing in uh, in uh, in the in the UK summer, um, he he's look he's raw. He's only he's only bowled you know bowled very little county cricket yet, um, let alone only a couple of Test matches. But um, gee, he looks good when he's landing him. He looks terrific. Todd um, Murphy, but, Jack. Todd Murphy. Yeah. How could we get? How could we get that? How could we stop over that? Yeah, Todd Murphy. Um, and uh, yes, he's impressed. He's impressed around the place for Victoria. He plays for the Sydney Sixers, um, and uh, he was. He is an Achuka boy, mate. Mm. Peter Hanscom also in the squad. Um, you mentioned last week that he might have been picked as a uh, second keeper, but I, I don't think that's the case. He's not keeping for Victoria at the moment. He's I know, but I, I, I think you that give him the gloves, but yeah, you could yeah, give Dave yeah. Warner the gloves. Yeah. But you know, yeah. um, um, uh, um, and it probably will, you know, take a bit of pressure off Carey. And, but they won't have too many. They're not. They're not playing in too many provincial games or first class games or lead up mm. games anyway. So uh, that's Alex Carey's job all told. But it just it, for for Hanscom. 
it's just telling him you're, you're not far away. He has made a lot of runs for Victoria. He probably would have, that position probably would have gone to Glenn Maxwell if, if Maxwell wasn't uh, injured. Um, and, uh, you know, poor old Glenn uh, is... Uh, Basically, struggled to break into Test cricket. Probably the best, one of the best short form cricketers going around. Uh, be very interesting to see how they get on in India. As I say, one of the curses of Australian cricket, not just Australian cricket, but England cricket as well in the subcontinent, is a preponderance of left-handed batsmen with the ball spinning away on wearing wickets. It doesn't uh, doesn't uh, augur all that well. We'll see. They are an emerging great side, uh, the Australian side. Uh, <clears throat> Meanwhile, Jack. Are they or, or are they now getting to the point where, particularly in the batting, there's a few of them who are getting much closer to the end than the beginning? Um, uh, Kawaja, Smith, Warner. Yeah, Smith, oh, Smith, you would give him another two or three years. Yeah, I, I look, definitely those those people are there. But I think there's, there's a greater depth around the Australian squad now. Uh, there Rens- is bowling wise, batting wise, not oh, so sure. Oh, Renshaw, Renshaw will be a very good opening bat for Australia, I think, uh, or number three. Uh, well, we've got the, we've got that's the difference. We've got Marnus Labuschagne, who is uh, an outstanding number three, and we haven't had an outstanding number three since Ponting. So if if you you've got him making runs, it takes the pressure off Warner and Kawaja at the top. Mm. Um, you've got Renshaw, as I say, a couple of others. Um, uh, who, who can take uh, their spots. And then uh, we look at uh, Travis Head at number five, who could be the great counterpunch in England uh, against, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the the thrust of English cricket, test cricket mm. now, which is to make runs quickly. Um, and meanwhile, Jack, in the BBL, well, not in the BBL, Australia has decided, uh, Cricket Australia has decided that a three-match tour of Afghanistan, well, with, against Afghanistan in the UAE will not go ahead. Uh, and that's led to um, Adelaide strikers hero Rashid Khan claiming he may not play again in the BBL. He said, I am really disappointed to hear that. Australia have pulled out of the series to play us in March. I take great pride in representing my country and we have made great progress on the world stage. This decision from CA sets us back in that journey. If playing for Afghanistan is so uncomfortable for Australia, then I wouldn't want to make anyone uncomfortable with my presence in the BBL. Therefore, I will be strongly considering my future in that competition. Um, the, the reason... Uh, for it is uh, the reason for it is the Cricket Australia and they made a statement about this he said this is not uh, the, the, the board said this is not um, uh, this is not uh, an argument about uh, about uh, sort of priorities in a society this is about human rights and, and they're not negotiable so this is in response cancelling this tour is in response to the Taliban in Afghanistan um, uh, routinely and regularly um undercutting rights of women, young women in particular, who now can't go to university and now have to go to different schools. How do you feel about it, Jack? Um, I'm a bit conflicted about this. Um, I read a a Gideon Haig piece in the Oz the other day about it. Um, uh, Gideon seems to to feel that they should be playing Afghanistan in the UAE. Um, I can certainly see his arguments, but I can also see good arguments for not playing. Yeah, I, look, I'm just you know, again, you know, the Taliban, goddamn savages. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, they're basically 
foolishly reducing their their country's output by fifty percent um, by uh, by keeping by keeping women out of education um, and uh, and allowing the resources of women uh, to uh, to be unfulfilled. Um, yeah, I I I I I think will it will the Taliban sit up and take notice? I guess no. is <laughs> oh, that's that, that's Gideon's point. No, they won't. Yeah, and I guess that's true. Um, uh, and it does leave Afghanistan's cricket probably um, uh, struggling along a little bit, but it, and, it's and Russia can't. Russia can't is right. They have made great great progress as a cricketing uh, country, have. if you like. Yeah, they um, have. Uh, and and this will kill well, a stone all, dead. They all live in the UAE. I mean, you know, yeah, that's true. When yeah, yeah. Tours in and, or in, in Pakistan. Um, yeah, that's right. So. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I, I'm 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 sort of not uh, along uh, Gideon Hayes' line. Yes, it won't it won't matter much, um, but in the end, um, Afghan, Afghan cricket is going to have to make some make some judgments, and it's going to have to say to their Taliban to their Taliban governors, listen, uh, this is becoming a real problem for us, and whether the Taliban listen or not, I don't know. Well, they won't. Well, they certainly won't. I think we can. We can put that down. Australian Open kicks off today, Jack. Uh, all eyes, all Australian eyes are on Kyrgios. Indeed. And Elena Riabinka, Rybakina, so I should say. Um, uh, she's had a bit of a whine because she 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 won Wimbledon. She's out in the court number 13 <laughs> playing a game. And you, you and I would be out in 13, wouldn't we? Um, yeah, indeed. Yes, I'm, I'm not sure why that's happened. To be quite honest, well, there is a bit of sensitivity. I know she's a Kazakh, um, uh, not a Russian, um, but uh, there is a bit of uh, controversy around the ideas of um, Russian players once again playing. They weren't permitted to play this time, and now they're not supposed to be. They're not. They're not referred to as Russians. I saw a Daily Telegraph piece going across the field, uh, in in the men's, and they're all identified with their Russian flags, but they're not supposed to be Russian, Jack. Oh, well, it's just like the Olympics where they wear the all white colours of the club or something, is it? Well, they, that was uh, different because they got done for they got done for all that um, uh, all that sort of industrial scale doping, um, but. Yeah, this is this is tennis sort of making a political statement, but not. Yeah. So who's going to win? Any ideas? No um, idea at all. Very, very tough. Um, very, very tough for the Spaniard uh, to win the men's. He's got a very tough run. Um, I'd love to see Kyrgios win it. Um, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a cartoon. He's a bit of a card. He's a great uh, character. Gets a little bit carried away, but don't we all? On certain occasions, I was advised, and I cannot speak for the truth of this, that Kyrgios does have some, shall we say, psych- psychological problems, but he cannot uh, cannot take um, um, uh, the sorts of uh, treatments that he needs without uh, without um, uh, going across uh, banned subjects, banned substances, and that in all, in all I, I, kind of, I kind of thought. He, he, he needs to have a sit down um, and, and spend a few days with um, with Andre Agassi because remember Andre there was at Andre one and Andre two were completely different people. Um, he was a reviled player when he was Andre one, uh, and when he came back as Andre two, 
um, uh, he was a different chap and um, ended up being one of the most loved players on the tour. Oh, I think that could happen with Kyrgios. I mean, in, in, right now, I mean, God, don't we use the term polarising? I mean, we just sort of were pal polarising. Everyone, you know, he's a polarising figure. Yeah, and, it's, and it's the word of the moment, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Kyrgios is a polarising figure. Um, and maybe maybe a couple of wins under his belt and we'll feel a lot better about him. I actually like him. I think he's terrific. He's hugely talented player too. So certainly has the capacity to win Grand Slam tournaments and uh, love to see him win in Australia. And for the sake of the game, we need someone new winning some tournaments. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of everything that's old is new again, Eddie Jones has just been appointed coach of the Wallabies and they've sacked uh, they've sacked uh, the uh, the existing coach. He's just the been given his marching. Yeah, well, he's been given his marching orders, uh, David Rennie, and um, and uh, I, I, I've got to say, I, 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 I'm you know the people that I know who are absolutely devout about their worship of uh, uh, of rugby in this country and around the world. They hated this guy when he was coach of the Wallabies. They hated Eddie Jones. Couldn't wait for him to leave. Couldn't wait for him to get sacked. Yeah. Um, the, what I noticed was that he got a five-year appointment, and I think that's an error. Wow. Um, uh, because – So you don't do – you, you, you really think long and hard before you do that, even with your best player. Yeah. Uh, Eddie's record, wherever he's coached, um, is that he's good for a while, but he wears people out. Um, uh, and and they and they fall out of love with him. So, um, uh, give him the job for this World Cup and see how he goes. And and when, when people start getting irritated by him, give him the sack. Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of what's happened as as the coach of the UK, or coach of sorry, coach of England, um, where he you know he had some early successes. Who's the best side in the in the world? Rated the rated the best side in the world at the moment, Jack. Uh, France and Ireland, I think, are the I think two I, best. Ireland are on, on top, and they've got some fantastic players um, and young players too. So mm. the guys are going to be around for a long time. All right, now we've set aside a little bit of a chat here um, to talk about lockdowns and did they work? Well, how do we know that they? Didn't Jack? That's the problem we've got. Because we can't falsify the, uh, the 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 experiment, can we? Because we can't go back and do it again. We can't go back and do it again, and and, and that's the problem I've got with it. And 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 so when we talk about this, the reminder we all got to remind ourselves because well, perhaps it's just me, but 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 the the, the pandemic actually sort of you know really just. Um, distorts your sense of time. Um, so for the really for the first year, there were no vaccines. So from from really February 2020 to to uh, to February 2021, yeah, well the vaccines were being rolled out, but not at any sort of level. So we had no real vaccine protection there, uh, and that's been uh, that's been the thing. I mean, for all the sort of nonsense that we're hearing about vaccines, the estimate is. And it's an estimate uh, that uh, the vaccines themselves have saved 20 million lives. Um, but lockdowns, you know, gotta be, they're going to be serious. <laughs> I didn't much notice the difference. But then I work from home and, always, and have for a very long time. Uh, and I'd pop down to the shops, but I'd do that now, you know. <laughs> I'd pop down to the shops for an hour and, and I'd do that now. So my life was really not affected by it. 
Um, you, you, were, you were never hard locked down in Hong Kong. No, but a lot of damage was done, particularly with schools. Um, I was talking to a, 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 a Melbourne chap who was up here a couple of weeks ago, um, and a good friend of his is a principal at a high school that has a lot of troubled kids. Um, and he's and the, and the principal said, we've just lost a whole generation of 13 or 14-year-old boys who we were struggling to keep at school and we will never get them back again at all now. Yeah, look, if we look at this, you know, and it is it is always in the rearview mirror and, and we, we certainly didn't know. There wasn't enough data. The world had to respond so quickly. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, there just wasn't enough data that, suggest, that suggested that uh, – that children would not be affected. We obviously know that people with pre-existing health conditions and the elderly were, were prone to in, prone to infection and serious symptoms, but the young young people aren't uh, so much. I mean, that's not to say that you know young people you know under the age of eighteen haven't died of COVID and COVID COVID related uh, illnesses. Um, but if we had our time again, I, I, th- I suspect the evidence would indicate that it, 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 we needed to keep our schools open. Yeah. The big mistake, if we look back on it, the big mistake I think that was made, um, uh, one, uh, whatever argument you make for lockdowns early on, they went on far too long. They went on far too long in China and they certainly went on far too long in places like Victoria. But the, the really big mistake, that the cause of that was to treat it like it was a medical decision as to what you did, and it never was. It was always a political decision. So you look at, do I lock down schools? Well, the doctors might tell me, we don't know what's happening with children, so we should save the children, should keep those children safe. But the political choice would be, but the cost of doing that so high is going to be so high to close schools for two years, um, uh, is going to be so high that we must take the risk medically. That's a political choice, and it should always have been a political choice rather than a medical one. Well, I, I, yeah, I just don't know that they had that sort of data around. But certainly when we come about to, to, to make that call, you know, yes, you could look at sort of worst-case scenarios about keeping kids in, hopefully for two, three, four weeks of a lockdown, but it extended much further than yeah. that. I mean, the, the idea of that, to me—that's the lesson we've got to take away well, from this. Don't look do at that, that but again. there was there were some very obvious mistakes made. You know, the idea of curfews, the idea that you know that people shouldn't well, be the only place there. in the world that happened, I think, was in Victoria. I, I, well, I, I'm not sure about that, but that was that was over the top stuff, and that was essentially government saying to police, "How would you like us? Uh, uh, what 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 circumstances would you like?" To, to best create, you know, to, to best be able to police the lockdowns. And the coppers are always going to say, <laughs> never ask the coppers anything. They're going to say, oh, I want to go home at nine. Let's have a curfew. Oh, I think it was 10 o'clock, wasn't it, or 11? Well, nine, I think, at one stage. But, and that's because the coppers want to go home at nine. That's I don't blame them for that. Right. We can work out of shifts and rosters and all that sort of yeah. stuff. That's not of benefit to the society. That's of no. benefit to the Victoria Police Force. So yeah, there were clear there were clear errors made there, and they did exacerbate um, you know a lot of tension um, between government and 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 citizens. I mean, and it was frankly absurd the idea that you couldn't go out for your one hour or two hours of became was one then became two of exercise uh, that you couldn't do that at midnight. It's just like you asking your mum when you were eight. No, you can't go out at midnight. It's ridiculous. It was really sort of paternalistic and unnecessary. Um, 
I, I, I actually think what's what when we look back at there's some really interesting sort of um, um, historical data about about the Spanish flu um, pandemic, and when it ended, everyone just went on on the back on back to their back to business again. Um, and, and there weren't massive lockdowns and those sorts of things, it must be said, but there were restrictions on movement. And um, the state in Australia, for example, the states basically prohibited movement across state borders. Um, people were encouraged to mask up, not, not encouraged to mask up, had to mask up, and that was mandated, uh, all these sorts of things. When that ended, Jack, basically everyone just took their masks off and just went back to their lives. You know, we just come out of a huge World War Two, uh, uh, World War One, Two, uh, and uh, but this time it it seems like it's that's completely different. That that what we've what we've got now is a sort of disaffected group of people. We've got graver distrust with government. Um, that the the responses uh, the responses from people has been completely different. Mm. Uh, it's complicated here in Hong Kong because we already had distrust of government from uh, right through the protest years leading into the um, – because well, let's face it, the um, uh, the two things that killed off the protest movement in Hong Kong were the, the virus and the national security law, but they happened about the same time. So we already started with a low level of trust in government at the beginning of that, and it's gotten worse through um, uh, the lockdown periods. Well, it wasn't quite lockdown, but our restriction periods oh, – you, you had it easy, Jack. You had it easy. Mm. I think I, I, I'm just trying are we to going think. to be the, do the four Yorkshiremen, are we? <laughs> Luxury. <laughs> I think I think we had. There was probably I, I'm, it was just memory again. I can say it just had so little impact on my life. I mean, you know, besides besides consuming news and information around it, um, um, it, it it sort of the lockdowns in New South Wales. Rural because I'm sort of rural and regional. Um, I think the first run was about six weeks, and then there was a second run of about four weeks after that, and that that was 2021, and people were starting to get vaccinated, and and uh, and we could turn it around there again. Like you, I think the lockdowns went on a little bit too long. There must have been a grave fear about pressure on the health system in certain states, and probably all of them. Um, uh, that you know that we had to hit. I think what was it, eighty five before we'd open up, and it was a sort of grade a, a gradation of yeah. of what we could enjoy again once we'd hit certain things. But I think once you got that, once you got vaccinated, I think you're pretty right to go, weren't you? That, but that would have been oh, very I, difficult I, to police. I, I think the lockdowns went on way too long. They should have been for a very short period at the beginning and then we should have gotten on with things. But that's just me. Anyway, almost every government had a pandemic um, management uh, plan uh, before this arrived and none of them followed it. They all followed the, yeah. the, the lockdown. All, all bar sweet. Every, everyone else... Um, uh, decided. Oh no! We'll throw that throw that in the bin. That our pandemic management. Well, this is why we do need to have some form of you know royal commission or some form of judicial inquiry that 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 basically sunset what we got right, what we got wrong. Yes, I agree. And and, and so you can plan for the next because I guarantee it will happen again. It will yes. happen again. Yes. Yeah, and it's one thing that history teaches us is that it will happen again. I think but one of the not only you have to have the plan, you have to follow the plan, not just say, "Well, hey, that's too, that's, this is well, different. We're going to throw that throw that away." Get, when we get to the Spanish flu outbreak, Jack, the, the 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 state and territory governments got together 
and and set set in Canberra. And actually, this the, the Department of Health, the Federal Department of Health, was created in this time in this great period. Hands across the borders, and we're all going to do this. And and uh, and we're going to allow the Commonwealth to drive pandemic management. And that lasted as long as it took for two 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 Sydney siders to travel uh, from Melbourne across the Murray. Um, they were returned servicemen who had Spanish flu, and then the New South Wales government flew into an outrage, and it, and everything was just thrown out the window. Yeah. Um, so we do need to have plans because these things are not. They're going to afflict us. Perhaps not not once in every hundred years. We use that as a metric for just about everything, but they will happen again. Uh, Jack, any final words from you today as we wrap up the show? Well, I know we did Kamala Harris last last week. Um, oh, you're always uh, picking on her, Jack. <laughs> yeah, but let's, let, let me tell you, you can find it. It's all over the social media. She's so. in sparkling form. She's in good nick. She's in good nick. She's <laughs> seen the ball early out of the bowler's hand. And she, yeah, yeah, she is. She's, she's going really well. If you, to all parts. if you want some harmless entertainment, just uh, Google Kamala Harris um, uh, making a speech um, and you'll be entertained. Now, what caught my eye this week? Was from the University of Southern California because we know that California is kind of the the incubator of all stupid ideas. Uh-huh. Um, uh, this is the uh, Southern Cal University, their Department of Social Work, um, uh, were tearing themselves into uh, into pieces about the use of the word field in. Um, uh, in their work, so they're no longer going to be able to talk about field work field or work, working gone. in the field, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that's because field could be triggering for people whose ancestors were slaves and therefore worked you know, did in field fields. work, or for um, uh, people from migrant communities who might have come across the southern border to work in the fields, um, uh, in the fields, picking <laughs> fields. Yeah. Um, and this has led to yet another outbreak of madness on uh, on Twitter. Um, I thought Andrew Neil, the, the British journalist, got it right. He says, "Well, what do we do about cricket?" Um, uh, you know, um, uh, and someone said, well, we could call it the cricket pitch or the football pitch. And he says, no, that won't work because pitch has connotations of darkness, you know. Uh, how dark was it, um, uh, oh, yeah, Constable? It was pitch black, you can't know, so we can't use pitch. Um, so we're, they come up with a new word at, at Southern, Cal, Southern Cal University. They're going to call it a practicum. I saw, I saw the word and I actually had to look it up, uh, practicum. Uh, so it's P R A C T I C U M. I think that's right. Yes, Practicum. that's it. And uh, and and when I went looking for d- dictionary definitions of this word that I'd never come across before, the dictionaries themselves seemed confused about it, Jack. Yeah. Anyway, this is the this is the new standard, and, and the last word goes to Andrew uh, Andrew Neil. Uh, let's face it. What happens on the practicum, Jack, stays, stays on, the on the practicum. Stays on the practicum, yeah. No, no, very good, Jack. Thank you very much for your time today. And thank you, listeners, for joining us once again, our second program for 2023. Uh, and uh, we encourage you again to drop us a line. Uh, drop us a line on uh, – you can hit me up on uh, on uh, Twitter, on Jack the Insider, um, at Jack the Insider, and hit me up on my DMs are always open. Uh, Jack, you have uh, you have your own details there? What, what are oh, your- yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find me uh, – look for Hong Kong Jack on, uh, uh, on on Substack and you'll find it. Okay, there you go. And, uh, and of course, you can always hit us up uh, by email on the conditional release program at gmail.com. Jack, thank you very much for your time and we'll catch you listeners next week see ya cheers